Episode 140, Ebony Allard, coach, author, artist, and advocate. And watching the company then uh, become insolvent. I'm Mark Rabin. This is my favorite mistake. In this podcast, you'll hear business leaders and other really interesting people talking about their favorite mistakes. Because we all make mistakes. But what matters is learning from our mistakes instead of repeating them over and over again. So this is the place for honest reflection and conversation, personal growth, and professional success. Visit our website at myfavoritemistakepodcast.com. For more information about Ebony, her books, her art, and her work, and more, look for links in the show notes or go to markgraben.com slash mistake140. And now, on with the show. Well, hi, everybody. Welcome to My Favorite Mistake. I'm Mark Raven. Our guest today is Ebony Allard. She describes herself as, this is uh, her phrase, a priestess of alchemy. She's an award-winning international coach. She is, and in her words, again, and we'll have a chance to talk about this, a misfit turned maven. She's an author, an artist, and an advocate. You can learn more about her at her website, ebonyallard.com, and I'll put a link in the show notes. So before I tell you more about Ebony, uh, who's joining us today from Spain, welcome to the podcast. How are you? Good. Thank you so much for having me. It's so wonderful to hear an introduction. And also, I realize I put lots of words in that um, might need explanation. So I'm looking forward to that as well. Well, we have a perfect opportunity to do that today. And, and there's a little more introducing to be done. Now, listeners are probably already wondering, Okay, you live in Spain. Where where are you from originally, Ebony? I grew up in England, but I was born in France. I am here on a German passport. My family's Swiss. I lived in I lived in seven countries before I was seven. And so the where are you from question always stumps me. But my accent is very English. So an international woman of mystery, to paraphrase the old Austin Powers-ish. I'm, I'm good with that. Yeah. Yeah. Well, you've done a lot <laughs> of interesting things, and I'm excited to talk about that today. Um, you can also, another website of Ebony's is misfit2maven.com with the number two in there. She has been the host of the podcast um, previously, Adulting with Ebony. She has a new podcast, Ebony Unfiltered, and she's the author of books, including Misfit to Maven. The story of Arg to Ah, build a life as extraordinary as you are. And, and Ebony, I, I heard your audiobook sample. Could you please, the way you say the subtitle <laughs> has so much more inflection. Could you, could you tell us? <laughs> yeah, the subtitle? of course. So it's Misfit to Maven, the story of Ah to Ah. Um, yeah, and him, it's, um, it's a play on words, which didn't work as internationally as I would have quite liked it to. <laughs> A minor mistake there? I mean, I think it says a lot, but maybe from an English-speaking perspective, it relates more? Maybe. I don't know. Most people get it. You know, it's it's interesting to use onomatopoeia in a book title. <laughs> I, don't, I don't know where it came from, but it, you know, it gives you a sense of what the book's really about. Yeah, and there was so much more inflection in feeling to it that came out um, hearing you read the title. So thank you. Um, for doing that. So Ebony, um, of, of the different things you've done in your career, I'm really curious what your story is going to be. What would you say is your favorite mistake? 
I've chosen to pick a really recent one, and that is inviting my three closest best friends to become directors of my company and watching the company then uh, become insolvent. Yeah, and closing that company down. And it was a company that I had run for 11 years. Um, and the amount of time that it took from taking them in as directors to making the decision to close it down um, was three months. Oh, my. Three friends, yes. three months. Yeah. Yeah, and and... I mean, to say it didn't go how I expected is an understatement. <laughs> the plan had been bring these three friends who had also been coached maybe, been in the organization for some time, been working in different aspects of the organization in as directors so that we could each bring our skill sets, do something that we truly, really believed in, work with an audience that we really care about do quarter of the work that we had that I had been doing um, and end up with more spaciousness and more free time. And that's all very well in theory. But when one person has built a business and has built the systems and built every, you know, has a way of operating, and then you bring in three other people who work as, as friends and as colleagues, but all of a sudden there's a, a different power shift. There's a, an element of equity. There is money involved, and suddenly the money is um, has a, people have a different relationship with it because there's an area, um, an element of ownership. Yeah, it very quickly uh, went wrong, and those relationships at this point, I don't speak to them anymore. Oh gosh. And you might be asking, well, why is it my favorite mistake then, yeah. right? Well, yeah, and, what was the, the learning? Yeah. The reason I've chosen to pick that one and why it's my favorite mistake is that that business had reached a point where it was no longer what I truly wanted to be doing. But I felt an element of, of obligation. I felt an element of, well, I've come this far, uh, an element of it's working for everybody else. And so I, that's what I should do. And in experiencing this kind of very fast, very furious collapse, it gave me a clean slate. And it gave me an opportunity to be like, okay, well, if there is no money and there's no clients and there's no structure and this doesn't exist at all anymore, what do you actually want to be doing? And the priestess of alchemy work, the art work that I do now, prior to that, this mistake were too scary for me to step into fully. They felt like... Um, things I couldn't say out loud, you know, the kind of deep secret desires of, of what I wanted to do with my time, with my energy. And by watching everything completely disappear within the context of the pandemic and, and, and the world changing so massively for everybody, actually it gave me the freedom to build something completely new and to be really, really authentic and to say no to anything that felt like it came from a place of obligation. And so I actually feel 
the relationship side, the friendship sides, that hurts. And at the same time, I know time is the only healer of that. But in terms of being in alignment and feeling fulfilled, I feel like it really was my favorite mistake. Wow. So, I mean, thank you. Thank you for being willing to share that, Ebony. And, um, you know, a couple of questions just about, you know, the, the, the scenario and what had happened that this was a coaching business. Yeah. Is that right? Yes, and, and it was. Were the, the, these three friends already involved on some level and they became directors, partners? Is that they, they weren't yes. brand new to the business from the outside? No, not at all. So they had uh, been through the process. They'd done the signature program. One of them had been working um, as a financial advisor, one on content, one in, on uh, operations and systems. So they all knew the business. They all knew me. Uh, they all knew the clients. There was mm-hmm. there was no surprises, um, or at least I really, truly believe that there would be no surprises when they made that shift. Yeah. Now, was some of the fast path to insolvency, was was that a matter? How much of that was business dynamics with the pandemic or or other other factors where was it already headed in that path? And then it was bad timing of of installing the others as directors um, and more to it. I feel like with hindsight, we can say it was a perfect storm. You know, maybe if there hadn't been uncertainty in the air already, um, maybe it would have, we would have had more time. But I think when you make a big leadership change and there's already a sense of uncertainty and people are already looking for a reason to withdraw their money or to find a way out of a contract and this suddenly becomes the easiest way for them to do that right like you take right. you change right. the terms therefore i now feel wobbly and, and if you imagine in a coaching journey there's an element of of risk and taking them out of their comfort zone anyway and so as soon as you take someone out of their comfort zone they will look for any reason to kind of to come out of that. So I think there's an element of that. Um, and I also think there's an element of me having previously been the person who had done all of the sales. And when I stepped back from that, I truly believed that they would step in and they would find their voices. And for whatever reason, whether they were, whether it was not enough time or I don't know, or or just it was needed to happen. You know, it's sometimes really difficult to pinpoint exactly what happened. And I think it's often a combination of things. Mm -hmm. And it sounds like part of the situation where I heard you describing Ebony was having reasons to to try to step back. You wanted to create free time to do other things. Um, sounds like you, you you had reasons to stick with it, reasons to try to step away. And everything that happened here um, was more than a push into moving forward to do some things now that, like you said, it was it was too scary to take that step beforehand. The idea of shutting down a business you've been involved in for 11 years, um, I'm, I'm, I'm sure is a difficult thing to face, even if you have excitement of, well, here's what I want to do. Here's what I could be doing. It's a pattern for me, I have discovered, um, 
to, I don't want to close something if it's going well, you know, right? Even though um, in many life situations, I'm a leave the party on a high kind of a person. For some reason, I just couldn't do that with that business. And, you know, maybe if I'd said, everything is going great, but my heart's not in it anymore and I want to step away, maybe that could have worked. And I also know that people have said, people would have said, but why? <laughs> Everything's great. And, and then I would have ended back, back in this position. And I feel like sometimes the best way for me personally to move on is when something doesn't exist anymore or when I when I'm forced into it. Uh, and, and do I believe that somewhere I made this happen? I I don't know, but I do, like I said, I do think it it all works out in the end. Yeah. Well, and and we'll talk about the new things that you're doing or the things you're doing more of. Um, but I'm curious to explore a little bit when you you, you mentioned the idea of patterns and, and reading your story on your website, you you talk yeah. about um, in your words, um, how you've suffered from burnout at the end of every job, at least earlier in your career, is mm-hmm. is that a pattern that you're you've managed to break or or are breaking to to avoid that burnout as you're throwing yourself into new things now? Yes, and I feel that what happened with Mr. Enterprise is is looking to change a pattern, looking to see, okay, I you know the, the the energy that is driving this is me and I'm losing that energy. What do I do before? Because I my my mental health, my physical health, I'm not willing to to go that far. And I through that pattern, through the learning, can see it a way off. And so that did not happen this time, right? My mental health is good. My physical health is good. Um, the the only the only thing that, and even then, the fiduciary health, like it, of the company, was terrible, but not for me. You know, I, I am okay. And so again, you know, I actually feel like I navigated this exceptionally well given the patterns of my history right like if you're if you're supposed to learn from from your past and make new mistakes then I definitely did that and uh and burnout is not something that I suffer from anymore what I'm learning to do is to recognize that I'm someone who likes to move on to new ideas or to new projects and that um keeping myself with one thing for the rest of my life sounds like a great idea on paper isn't going to work for me mm-hmm. is, is there i mean this could be coincidental the pattern of moving around so much as a child i wonder if that instilled an expectation of new places new challenges new projects new learning i ask myself that all the time because I'm the oldest of of many siblings and um the rest had a a, a different experience didn't have that movement as a as a young child and are much more stable <laughs> and that's that's one way of looking at it you know but I think it's a part of my personality and I think in the work that I do we I look to um, human design and astrology and lots of these things that are based on your birthday and information and there's a lot of information that says 
I am someone who likes new ideas and likes yeah. to travel yeah. and likes to move around and, and likes new cultures and new ways of doing things. So it is very difficult for me to know what which one came first, right? Mm-hmm. Like, is uh, was I born into the environment that was suited to me or, or did the environment make me? And I don't know. But yes, yeah. there's definitely a correlation. When people talk about nurture or nature, it could be both nurture and nature um, leading you to this path. Um, so you are good with words or I think, you know, phrases, it seems. And so I want to ask you a little bit of the meaning of the choices mm-hmm. of words you use, labels um, for yourself. Um, you know, first off, um, misfit turned maven. Um, I'm curious about both of those words, describing yourself as a misfit, why that word, and, and then that progression, what, what, what it means to be a maven. People used to ask me about misfit and assume it meant rebel. And there's a difference between a misfit and a rebel, because a rebel is pushing against something, is reacting to something, wants to create something different or live in a different way. And it's very purposeful and it's very conscious. A misfit feels different, feels like they don't operate the same as the people around them. And when I was younger, it was because I'd had a different education or I'd lived in a different country, you know, had a different start in life. So maybe it was that that made me feel othered or different. As I have got older and I've worked with lots of creative people and more and more, more neurodiverse people, I've come to understand that there are many things that can make us feel like a misfit um, when we are one of a kind in the environment that we're in. And there's benefits to that because when you have someone who is different, you can create change, you can see things in a different way. But then also as human beings, we are made to homogenize, to to become uh, like one another, to create connection. And so the misfit can experience this thing where they almost lose themselves. They have this idea of being a chameleon um, and they can fit in anywhere. And then also they kind of blend into their surroundings and lose themselves. So that's Mm -hmm. what I mean when I talk about a misfit. Mm -hmm. And then on on that real quick, before getting to the the maven part, the the turn, um, I, I really appreciate you making that distinction, rebel and misfit. And I'm um, just reflecting a little bit myself. I can think of times where uh, I have been a rebel and that that's an act. It's driven by something, acts. Yeah. Misfit is more of a feeling, maybe a different yes. way of saying it. It's like I, I, I don't mean to be, but I, I think I could think of times uh, in childhood in different settings or even in professional settings. And I have found places in life where I felt very much not a misfit. And that feels good. Mm. Yeah. Um, but but there, there can be a certain discomfort with being a misfit that, that, that could drive you to new heights. Like, I mean, there's something to be made out of that. Is that the, the for you anyway, turning to Maven, is that driven from the feelings of being a misfit? Or is it just something you, you chose to say, okay, I'm going to turn into some, Maven sounds very positive. What, what does that word mean to you? There's two things there. One, the misfit element that you describe, I totally relate to that. And I feel like the other place where we see it is the underdog. And quite often, the underdog feels like they are the only one. 
And then sometimes you see a band of underdogs come together and they form a collective or, you know, the, the Lost Boys or the, you know, all these different kind of places where there's community. And the beautiful thing about being a misfit is that when you own it, you can meet other people and you can still be yourself and be in community at the same time. And the word maven actually came to me in a dream. I'd never heard it before. My grandmother, who was a, a Jewish woman, came to me in a, in a dream and told me the name of my book. She told me it was going to be Misfit to Maven. And I looked up this word maven. And in it, she told me it's an old Hebrew word. And it means expert by experience. One who understands. And so for me, the idea of being maven is that we take ownership of our experience, of our uniqueness. And we understand ourselves but we also relate and understand one another and understand the humanness you know the the fact that we all feel like a misfit sometimes and in some contexts and so really the journey from misfit to maven is where we stop othering ourselves where we allow ourselves to be different we accept and embrace our, our shadows our quirkiness our difference um and from that place allow ourselves to fit in yeah yeah, and misfit. The the the. I think yeah, you, it's often connected to underdog. I, I don't think overdog is really a word, but <laughs> I think of growing up and and in different levels, the amount of privilege that I've had in my life. It's mine is not an underdog story. I've had a lot of mm. privilege and opportunity, um, but even with that, there's still sometimes um, that feeling of being a misfit and learn, learning to deal with that and finding places where. Um, Feeling comfortable is not the only thing, but I, I think it's important to have at least a good amount of that. Wait yeah, and I think, I think that feeling of feeling comfortable that you explain is an internal feeling rather than an external feeling. And on the journey of personal development, my experience at least, is that when we stop looking for it outside of ourselves and start to look for it and find it within ourselves – then that transformation or that alchemy can take place. And, and that's really the thread that ties all of my work together is that what you're seeking isn't outside of you. It's, mm. it's inside of you. Yeah. Yeah. And so as you, as you work with others, there's what's inside of us and then there's the, the help or the insight or the questions that, that somebody else might um, bring to you. Um, this, this other phrase you describe yourself as, a priestess of alchemy. Now the engineer in me thinks, well, okay, I, I know you don't literally mean turning, what was the old, turning lead into gold. Uh -huh. um, you, you're, you're talking about more transforming people. Tell, tell me about that phrase, what the, the, the meaning to you and, and to your work as priestess of alchemy. So the, the alchemy part, I am talking about emotional or spiritual alchemy where we're turning our, um, our shadows or our undesirable parts, the things that we think of as heavy, because it was it, in old alchemy, it was from lead to gold, the heavy, useless weight into the one that was worth something, right? And it could be traded yeah. in yeah. some way. And so in spiritual or emotional alchemy, we're taking those heavy emotions or um, the shadowy parts of ourselves and transforming them into um the gifts that create intimacy or, or other forms of wealth, which may also be financial. So that's the alchemy piece. The priestess piece for me has taken a long time to land with because 
whilst I have a deep connection to spirituality and I have no uh, religion or sense of or, or closeness or affinity with religion. And so it's been a difficult or uncomfortable journey for me. But for me, a priestess, whereas a priest um, speaks the word of God from a very masculine way and, and from a scholarly way, if we look back in history, at some point there was also priestesses who spoke the word of the goddess or of the more feminine and of the uh, temple arts or of the, the way of living with the seasons and the cycles and, and all of those things. And so for me, and, and the priestess also is a way shower, someone who guides but doesn't have all, the, all of the answers. And so for me, it's a beautiful way of, of incorporating the coaching work that I do but essentially, and asking those right questions and creating the environment and the atmosphere and the space for someone to find their own answers in a way that is useful and personal to them. Mm-hmm. Is, you, you, you make that distinction between... Um, spiritual and religion is is mm-hmm. is that an, a different sense of being um is that another use for the word misfit or is that different to say in terms of being not not feeling a fit with a structured <laughs> religion as opposed to your own connection or sense of spirituality uh possibly yes when it comes to me but also there is no religion or dogma that fits perfectly with everyone Mm -hmm. I've ever worked with or want to work with and Mm -hmm. so the distinction for me between religion and spirituality is that it gets to be really personal and if your spirituality includes a god and a structure and and a scripture and that's really okay for me but not everyone that I work with or that I want to um, experience or or, or go on a journey with has that and that's okay too. Mm So when you talk about those journeys and, and helping people discover, can, can you give an example, um, whether it's from yourself or somebody you've worked with, um, that that transformation, as you said, um, that alchemy of, I love the, the phrase you used there, the, the heavy useless weight, turning it into something um, of, of value personally. What, what can you, What's an example of that process and the outcome? Well, that's interesting. I wasn't expecting to tell that story. So I live in Spain now. And it took me a very long time to allow myself to make that move. And it was only when I really explored those um, darker parts of my own personality, the things that were not working in my life, that I was able to see that I wasn't being selfish by moving away from my family, that I wasn't um, giving up on, you know, there was lots of, there were all sorts of reasons or beliefs, stories that I had within myself that meant that I had to stay. And even today when I have a conversation with my mom or with old friends, they'll say, oh, you're so lucky or you're so brave and you're so courageous. And it's those projections from other people, but also internal things within myself, the heaviness of what it would mean. Because when we say yes to something, we're saying no to something also at the same time. So saying yes to sunshine and freedom and a cheaper way of life and you know more beach walks and less work, 
sounds wonderful, but it also meant saying no to Christmases, particularly in the last two years, right? Christmases, watching my nieces grow up, being there in person, spending it. And so the, the alchemical process that I went through is meeting the parts of myself and accepting them and being okay with who I am. And in that journey, what's actually happened is I've made this move, but I'm actually closer to my family now than I potentially would have been if I was still in the same country because we've made time to connect on FaceTime, to have video calls, to you know, do really intentional things. But if I hadn't been through that journey with for myself, I wouldn't know what those points were that were important and what the things were that I needed to do something about on purpose and with intention. So it, it, that may be a very simple story, but I felt like it's a practical story with, um, which explains kind of sometimes how simple it can be to really look at the things that are stopping us from living our life in, a, in a, an empowered way and making the mental shifts that allow us to then make physical shifts. Mm-hmm. So I want to ask, um, well, we have a couple of minutes here about uh, your art. And yeah. um, I, I, I'm, I'm not an artist and I, I can't, I, I can't, it's hard to picture of like, what, what, what is the process? You're starting with a, a blank canvas and how do you turn, how, how do you convince yourself to move forward with an idea, <laughs> a concept to get started, to turn that, um, into art. Some of what you were describing there made me think of, I mm. uh, made me wonder if there are parallel, parallels to the process of being a visual artist. Stop holding yourself back from creating, or does that, does that come more easily to you? Creating has never been my problem. Mm-hmm. Allowing myself to think that anyone else would find it interesting, beautiful, mm would pay money for it. Like that was the hardest part for me. So creating art, I do not have to think about what I'm going to draw. <laughs> um, the, the, the conditions have to be right. So mm-hmm. I need to be relaxed. Um, if, if I had decided to be an artist when I first graduated from university with an art degree, it wouldn't have happened because if with that kind of pressure on my art to be the thing that put a roof over my head and food on my table, it wouldn't have happened because when I feel pressure, nothing comes out <laughs> when yeah. I am, yeah. when the circumstances are right and I feel really relaxed and it comes from a place of joy and playing with color and being something playful. I can draw, I've just drawn half an Oracle deck in three weeks. So 35 paintings, um, with a theme that came from I have no idea where. But for me, the piece that's always stopped me from sharing my art with the world has been a child could do that or what is it or, you know, the kind of the comments and the, and the reactions from other people that I wasn't brave enough to withstand. And I feel like having been on this journey and being in a place of Maven, I'm no longer looking for validation or a response. Mm. I do mm-hmm. it for myself and I feel very confident of putting them out in the world. And I really know some people are going to be like, wow, I need it. And other people are going to be like, what is that? And that's yeah. really okay. Yeah. For me, yeah. that process of alchemy has been about, yeah, being okay with my vulnerability being on show. 
And I, I saw you tweeted your your you're selling your first NFT, which is a whole new <laughs> way of, of 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 selling and putting something on the market. What tell tell me about taking a step into that without getting into the nitty gritty detail of I I barely have an understanding of <laughs> NFTs and cryptocurrencies, but maybe. But okay. I'm, I'm curious to hear your story of getting into that as something new. I don't know how to do that without going. So well, the go NFT ahead. that no, so the NFT that I minted probably won't ever get bought. I wanted to understand the process. I am mm. much better at understanding a process if I do it. Ah, so to yeah. do, I am not great at learning the theory without actually taking the steps. So the the NFT that currently exists out there probably will never get bought. And if it does, fantastic. Uh, but it was a, a process for me to learn the technology, to learn what's involved, to have something to actually learn, to go through the process with. NFTs really excite me because they can be so much more than a piece of art, but there can be all sorts of information, whether that is a physical product or an experience or a course or a piece of code or a recipe. And technology excites me, actually, as a creative. The idea yeah. that we're going to have new ways to share information and to connect over information is fascinating. It's. Um... There's a lot that's fascinating about that. I'm sure there are mistakes that are made on all sides of that transaction. I saw a headline the other day. It's hard to tell how much of a problem this this is, or the, the media mm -hmm. sometimes like to see likes to seize on one event and they paint a trend that's not there. But this question of um, you know fraud or intellectual property theft of people taking content that's not theirs, tokenizing it if I think that's the right way of saying it, turning it yep. into an NFT and selling something that's not theirs. Yeah. And there's risk, I think, from the buyer side then. There's risk going forward into, into this new world, Web 3.0, where uh, things are, are minted and then on the blockchain and we have this new way of being. There is going to be a lot of more risk than there is now. And for me, that's actually where it feeds into the rest of the work that I do, because so much of the work that I do is around sovereignty and around mm, taking responsibility for ourselves. And a lot of the world that we have grown up in, we give our money to banks, we give our passwords to, you know, we give away our sovereignty and we say, this is too much for me. You look after it for me, be my parent in this. And the, the world that we're stepping into I think is going to have us have a lot less. I think we've reached peak information and now we all want less. And one of the ways to do that is to have us be responsible for our own information and to remember what we've bought and what we haven't bought and who we've bought it from. And, and so it's a very early, we're very early days in this industry. And I think there's going to be a lot of mistakes, but there's also um, innovation comes from mistakes. And so I think that it's a, an interesting time and an interesting new world to be exploring with caution. Sure. It sure is. And people who are wading into this, um, as, as we always talk about here on the podcast, um, learn, learn from any mistakes, maybe learn from the mistakes of others, make your own mistakes on a small scale and learn from them and not repeat them. Yeah. So um, again, our guest today has been Ebony Allard. You can um, find her website, ebonyallard.com. And if one thing, the final thing I wanted to ask you about, Ebony, um, you know, as, as a speaker and different roles um, that, that you play, um, 
there's a page on your site that spells out very clearly things yeah. that the types of people and situations you love to be a part of, the things I will do. And then there's a list very directly stated of <laughs> I will of I will not. Like for example, um just reading one of them here, I will not participate in any events that that do not display diversity and inclusion in different ways. Um I will not pay to be a part of your event or book or film or other opportunities. And I've been asked at times or essentially to pay to participate in something. Um, so I'm, I'm, I'm curious to hear you know, a little bit of the story or reaction. Is, has this been a helpful filter to kind of just lay it out there? Here's what I will and will not do in terms of working with people. You would be surprised how many people don't read it. Yeah. <laughs> Um, and how many times I politely send it again. It's very helpful for me to articulate what I will do and what I won't do and whether people experience that as um, helpful information or whether they find it disconcerting often says a lot more about them than me, but it helps me honor my own boundaries because otherwise Mm -hmm. I will say yes to everything left to my own devices. And so really taking the time to be intentional about my values, about what's important to me. Mm -hmm. Um, And, and you know, that thing about paying, I, someone asked me today, would I pay to be on their podcast? And Mm -hmm. I said, Oh, will you, say at the beginning of the podcast (laughs) that I paid to be on it because if you will then I will and they got really uncomfortable and for me it's about transparency it's not that I will never do it Uh it's that it needs Uh to be really transparent yeah Yeah. well I I appreciated that like you said those statements of boundaries I reacted to it quite positively I thought well well good it's good to so you lay that out there, I thought, in a very, you know, for what it's worth. I reacted to it. So well, this is very professional. It's very constructive. It's it's boundaries. And um, um, good to see that laid out there. So, Ebony, thank you for, um, I, I feel like, you know, you, you've been very giving of your time and mm. thoughts and experiences here today. No money has changed hands. <laughs> <laughs> no, for but me. I'm very I'm grateful, w- though. Um, well, it goes both ways. I think your podcast in idea and in execution is an absolute blessing and the range and the diversity of people on it has been really inspiring. So it's mutual appreciation. Okay, well, thank you. I'm doing my best and always room to get better. But um, Ebony, thank you. Really enjoyed um, the conversation. Thank you for sharing your story and giving us a, a glimpse into all the interesting things that, that you do and continue to do. So thank you again for being here. Thank you. Thanks so much to Ebony for being a great guest today. For more information about all of the things she does, um, look for links in the show notes or go to markraben.com slash mistake 140. As always, I want to thank you for listening. I hope this podcast inspires you to reflect on your own mistakes, how you can learn from them or turn them into a positive. I've had listeners tell me they started being more open and honest about mistakes in their work. And they're trying to create a workplace culture where it's safe to speak up about problems because that leads to more improvement and better business results. If you have feedback or a story to share, you can email me, myfavoritemistakepodcast at gmail.com. And again, our website is myfavoritemistakepodcast.com.